0: Thanks for tuning in to the Weaver On-Chain podcast series. I'm your host, Tim Savage, tax partner with Weaver, and I lead Weaver's blockchain and digital assets practice. In this podcast series, we dive into various topics in the crypto industry, and each show features guest speakers who are deeply involved in the space. On our show today is Steve Kennard, Director of Mining at the Texas Blockchain Council. Steve focuses on research regarding the impact of Bitcoin mining on the energy industry building a diverse network of professionals in the Bitcoin mining industry and stakeholder engagement and education. Prior to joining the Texas Blockchain Council, he was vice president of energy financial services at BOK Financial in Dallas and served as a manager of finance at an exploration and production company in Houston. He holds a BA from Texas A&M University, an MBA from George Washington University, and a sustainability and climate risk certificate from the Global Associated Global Association of Risk Professionals. Steve, thanks for joining us today.
1: I'm really happy to be here, and thanks for inviting me.
0: All right. So on our discussion points for today, the first thing we're going to walk through real quickly is Steve's background and how he became interested in crypto. We'll then touch on a brief conceptual overview of Bitcoin mining, and we will keep it fairly brief because it's a very dense topic. And then we'll We'll dispel some misconceptions about energy usage in the mining industry. And lastly, we'll talk about what Steve is doing with the TBC and the new Bitcoin Mining Foundation. So, to kick us off, Steve, your professional background and uh, what you're doing now with the TBC and, and Bitcoin mining uh, seem to align. And I would love to hear about how you became interested in the space.
1: Sure, I think I'm part of a growing number of professionals that are coming into this from an oil and gas background. Most people um, begin as Bitcoiners, as people interested in, in Bitcoin as as a protocol, as peer-to-peer cash network, and then through that become interested um, in mining. And so my my path to Bitcoins is a little bit different, and I come from a traditional finance world, which is which is also somewhat somewhat different than the typical path that people take, but. In, in early 2020, as you mentioned, I was working at BOK Financial in a corporate finance oil and gas banking job and was was fairly happy doing that. And then um, as as COVID hit, we went home. We ha- I had more time on my hands um, to, to pick up other things to read. Uh, and as you may remember, oil went negative. So there wasn't a whole lot to do in the oil and gas banking world at that time. It was kind of pencils down for everyone. And I started to do a deep dive into bitcoin mining because i heard about people bitcoin mining in the oil field and my real thought process there was that sounds like either one of the more fantastic scams i've ever heard of or something that's potentially transformational i i can tell you in in my past life working for an exploration and production company in the oil field we had some some stranded gas that uh, we had no way to get it to market and it would have been amazing if somebody had come and said, "Hey, we'll we'll come out and we'll mine Bitcoin with that gas, and you won't have a problem anymore, and in fact, this will this will make you money." So I I thought to myself, I I have to figure that out and 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 really perform some due diligence around it. So we fast forward two years, uh, after a fair amount of due diligence and reading, I I really came to the realization that this is a a tremendous new technology with very profound implications for the energy industry as a whole, and, and particularly for, for the oil and gas industry that that I come from. And I was fortunate to have been an early member of the Texas Blockchain Council. Um, the president of the council, Lee Bratcher, and I just kind of became friends because we're neighbors here in Dallas. And we were interested in some of the same things in terms of, of Bitcoin and its implication for, for society moving forward. And so it, it started as a friendship. More than anything, and and as I decided I wanted to make a career pivot, I really just called Lee up and said I, I'd I'd like to focus on this. You know, the Texas Blockchain Council historically was was primarily focused on uh, policy and, and political advocacy, and my desire was to come from a traditional finance background, from an oil and gas background, and focus on uh, developing more business development. Um, for our for our membership, attracting more institutional capital, really helping the the industry mature, workforce development, and and a lot of these functions that are more in the purview of kind of a typical chamber of commerce. Um, and so Lee thought that was a good idea, so I'm I'm glad that he did, and and uh, I I made the jump about uh, about six months ago um, to start with TBC full time and really focus on. On Bitcoin mining, and and I do remain interested in in other other protocols and technologies, and particularly Bitcoin as a whole as as a as a protocol and as as kind of hard money in a digital age. But from a professional standpoint, my focus has been more on that kind of uh, connection between the energy industry and and Bitcoin mining, and that's that's kind of my my day to day here. And it's been really rewarding. I think the interest is going. Uh, up and up from from these traditional industries, and you know every day I get to come in and figure out you know how do I bring more people into this and really help people understand that bitcoin mining is is a very strong contributor to a number of industries that are working to be more efficient and to have different ways to monetize energy and that's what this is about at the end of the day
0: very good i I think you bring out some really good points about uh you know those who first get into crypto. They probably actually start for personal investment reasons, and then they move into more of the ethos into what is cryptocurrency and more specifically, what is Bitcoin. Um, some like me actually back into Bitcoin and, and learn about it and, and really come to understand it in a stronger sense. And then the mining aspect, uh, as you kind of delve through the journey, you realize, OK, mining is so incredibly important to the network, not just from security. You know, a, a securitization standpoint, but also uh, for giving Bitcoin commodity-like properties and et cetera. So, for maybe someone who is just now starting that journey, you know, a viewer who is trying to gain a conceptual understanding of Bitcoin mining, how do you describe this to to that person?
1: Sure, it's a great question. I, I was actually in Miami just last week at at an event called the World Digital Mining uh, Summit. And I spoke on a panel there, and and part of what what they asked me to do similarly was was to try to give us a succinct overview of, of kind of what is mining and what is proof of work and what what role does that play within the protocol. And it's it's a tough task, but I think I think it's an important one. And w- what I would describe mining as quite quite simply is it's it's a piece of data. It's a piece of data that's difficult to find and relatively easy to verify. And Taking a step back in in terms of what role that plays on the network, the function of mining is really to validate transactions. So Bitcoin is a protocol that just allows peer-to-peer transactions uh, between you and I or anybody else who are free to come into the network. And those transactions build up in what's called the mempool. And eventually they form a block. Well, the question becomes who gets to validate those transactions and make sure that the network. Is secure, and and that is the traditional role of the miners. And the question that follows from that is: How do we know that the person that validates these transactions isn't a bad actor? And 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 create a system so that we can maintain decentralized validation of these transactions. In other words, we're not relying on any one person or group of people or external forces to allow transactions to take place. And that that's really the innovation of Bitcoin. So the way that works is miners are uh, taking those transactions and then running it through and iterating through an algorithm called the secure hash algorithm 256. And that's the piece of data that they're searching for. The network establishes a difficulty target and miners are simply running computers that perform this mathematical function. You can think of it as a lottery, almost like rolling dice, just trying to find the right numerical output for that piece of data, and they iterate this this algorithm trillions and trillions of times, searching for that output. Finally, one miner finds it, and what that allows them to do is earn the right to validate those transactions. And that's I really, you know, stress that word "earn," because in order to run that algorithm trillions of times, the, the primary input is computation, which is it's really energy. And so energy is something that has had value in all cultures all across time. Everybody recognizes the value of energy. And so in this way, Bitcoin itself is, is underpinned or the foundation of it is energy, which has always had value and always will. And that's the proof of work that a miner presents is that they have, have found the, the right piece of data. And having earned that right, they now can present those transactions to the network, present them as validated transactions. And the community of nodes, which a node is simply an individual uh, participant within the protocol, they add that block of transactions that's now been validated to the chain and then form what we broadly refer to as as blockchain. And so the, the, the critical concept to understand in all of this is that The energy and and its role in all of this is a key part of the innovation. The energy is what secures that network. It's what ensures that miners are are honest actors, because if they find the the right piece of data, that proof of work, uh, and then present fraudulent transactions to the network, uh, the community of nodes can reject that block. And then they will have lost that energy that they expended and so it's a self-defeating outcome. It makes no sense for someone to do that, and that's the security. So the higher the energy consumption, actually, the more secure the network is. And uh, hopefully, that's that's a way to, to to think through this. That's more than than maybe what you read in the newspaper, which is we're just solving complex mathematical equations for no apparent reason. Well, that that couldn't be further from the truth. There's a very specific, very important purpose for that proof of work computation and it's actually the foundation that all of this rests on it's it's critical to the decentralization of bitcoin which i think is is central to its its value proposition and the miners are securing the hard cap of 21 million bitcoin which there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. How can you be sure of that? Well, it's this proof of work system that's defending that, that's preventing people from creating Bitcoin for themselves um, and and attacking the network that way. It's, it's very energy intensive to attempt to do that. And no one has ever been able to hack Bitcoin. And it is the most secure protocol out there
0: for that reason. Beautifully described. And, and what you touched on with the more, I'd say game theoretics side of things. And as far as someone acting logically to whether they're ascribing to the network or if they're trying to act fraudulently, well, that's, that energy is that game theory piece, right? The usage or the cost incurred in order to um, attack the network would, it would be illogical to attack the network because um, well, one, the, the function of, how the other mine, miners and nodes operate on the network. But uh, yeah, that that transaction would likely be, oh, well, it would be thrown out and then you lose all the cost of that energy. And that's the game theory piece that I think is very, very important to um, the network acting uh, without the trust piece, right? That's very important. People really, you know, they, they harp on that energy piece a lot, but energy is good. It's, it's winded. Uh, was energy a bad thing, right? It's always propelled human creativity and innovation, and it's allowed us to extend our reach and do a lot of really amazing things. So why would you not want energy powering a network with really strong monetary fundamentals?
1: I couldn't agree more. I mean, energy is the universal unit of value across all human civilizations. From the beginning of time, um, you know, currencies have come and gone. Bartering has come and gone. But energy has always played a central role to human civilization because people inherently recognize its value. I think that's that's what makes this so powerful. And 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 again, I agree, the, the, the more energy securing the network, the better. The better for the the people that choose to store their wealth in Bitcoin. It's the most secure place that you can that you can do that. And so we we want that. And you know, it's funny, I was I was at this event in Miami last week, mining disrupt, they had a panel <clears throat> that was the the old school miners, I think they called it the OG miners. And there were kind of these incredible stories of, you know, guys starting in their basement with equipment they bought on uh, from some anonymous person that they never met. They didn't think they were going to get it. It came months later and they plug it in and it would explode and they would burn down a part of their house and just unbelievable stories like that. And while it was funny, what it made me realize is in the early days, the network was was vulnerable because it was difficult to get the the level of energy that we have now securing it because the hardware just didn't exist the infrastructure didn't exist and there wasn't a workforce to to implement that and so while the stories were were great it, it just made me reflect you know for the first couple of years if a nation state maybe had tried to shut bitcoin down it's it's entirely plausible that they would have been able to pull that off but nowadays, as the the mining industry really matures into a, a legitimate, you know, multinational, multi billion dollar industry, it it is approaching impossible for anybody to try to corner the mining industry because the the amount of hardware and energy that it would require is is just billions and billions of dollars, and and as you pointed out, com- completely self defeating, um, and. And I take a lot of a lot of comfort in that, but it is also just uh, kind of remarkable to reflect on on those first couple of years and, and and just how vulnerable the network was at that time when you know most people just mine on their laptop. You didn't really even need specialized equipment. Um, And so some some pretty incredible stories from guys of uh, mostly fires, but (laughs) explosions as well, machines that were never delivered, uh, things lost in translation between English and Chinese and so it was kind of a, a the wild west days of mining and and now increasingly it's 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 very professional you have people coming from all kinds of traditional industries that see there's a real value proposition here that's good for humanity that provides and protects private property in a digital age and that's a good thing and that requires energy
0: you know if we look at some of the common misconceptions about bitcoin as a network being I, I, the a lot of people say oh it's it's actually really centralized but it's not it's incredibly decentralized and the argument they present is the pools are centralized well i think what they fail to understand is the pools can be switched off at any moment you can move your hashing power and and it the actual mining itself the miners are very decentralized across the globe and that, that's very important to the network. And yeah, at one point it, it was centralized and then it was maybe slightly decentralized but vulnerable to attack. But it's now we, we pass these vectors of, um, of being vulnerable to now it's a very robust network and people are seeing it as that. And so it is attracting more people to start using and transacting on the network. Would you agree?
1: I would agree, and you know, not long ago, the top certainly the top five pools were um, were all Chinese, and so they were they were concentrated both in terms of just the the people that had control, but also geographically, all all in one country. And in 2021, the Chinese government banned Bitcoin mining, which they presented as as an environmental decision, which was really false. The issue with Bitcoin was it was a way for people to be able to take their capital out of China. That's what it was at the end of the day. It's, it's freedom money, it's private property in a digital age. And um, China's a country with strict capital controls. And so the best way to enforce that was just to ban Bitcoin mining <laughs> entirely. And you saw a lot more of the industry moving to the United States. And now today, the, the largest mining pool in the world is actually Foundry, which is a Texas Blockchain Council member and is a US-based company. Um, and so you see that that evolution happening right before our eyes. And there's also some really good materials coming from another pool, uh, Brains, which is a European company, but, but very, very active in the United States. And Brains will have a, a whole blog series all about this. I got to read some of it last week in Miami, and they actually have an article about this very thing, the potential for pools to be used to attack the network as a a sort of vector of centralization, and they go through how that, that in fact, isn't the case. And and they've rolled out new software that miners can use uh, called Stratum V2 that prevents pools from kind of hijacking their, their computation, their hash rate, to, to use it for malicious purposes. And it makes it easier to switch from one pool to the other if, if in some extreme scenario, there was an attack. I, I kind of enjoy the, the game theory of thinking through some of these potential attacks, and I think a lot of Bitcoiners do as well, and then realizing like, even if that happened, it, it would only make the network stronger. You know, China tries to ban the mining, it just proves that it can't be banned. Uh, because first of all, people continue to mine in China, <laughs> even though maybe they're not admitting it, and it just spread to other places around the world and continues to grow. Um, so I, I, I really I've seen that play out. That kind of all these different potential outcomes that that could be a threat actually end up strengthening it. And there's all kinds of participants in this industry that are always looking for ways to kind of think two and three steps ahead of what what could or might happen, and and how do we ensure that that there's always a way to to protect the decentralization of the network.
0: But I remember whenever I read that first article about china quote-unquote banning bitcoin mining i I just instantly thought oh my gosh this is a gift to us and in the us because this is how we catch up and we have and now we're the leader Um, and i I just really hope we don't go down that same path here is that uh, in that we you know do what new york is trying to do right now and have bad legislation that says we're going to mine this because they don't understand the properties that mining has to offer or the industry that it can be. Um, And yes, it is, uh, you know, it it takes some framework, both legally and from an accounting standpoint and uh, just operationally figuring out how to do it. But once that framework is built, it could be a very, very good, strong industry for us to to prop up here in the U.S. Yeah, I I certainly agree.
1: Um, And, you know, I think... Part of it, too, is 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 there's kind of a narrative of like miners are coming to soak up all the energy and steal it from from retail consumers uh, and, and commercial consumers, kind of traditional industries. And it's it's really the opposite. What the miners are facilitating is. Is increasing investment in new generation assets, and maybe most importantly, they're flexible, so they respond to the market as demand moves up and down, and supply moves up and down, and they're a balancing force on the grid. You know, one of the big examples we had was just recently here in Texas, where it's been really hot, as every headline likes to you know shout, Um, and as a result, more and more people are cranking up their AC, and the demand for power went way up um, at a time when uh, specifically some of the wind assets in west texas just it, the wind wasn't blowing enough and so there was a potential for for the grid to have insufficient supply and miners shut down over a thousand megawatts of of power they were using to provide support to the grid uh and they do that because we have a free market here in texas where actors can can contribute to the grid uh, both in generation or through that flexible load and so the more of that we can have The stronger our grid will be and the the better it will be able to serve all users and all citizens and another important uh statistic that that i like to highlight is we have over 20 gigawatts of solar energy in west texas primarily west texas some in south texas as well that are in the interconnection queue and i'd like to try to put that into context so in these recent weeks where it was over 100 degrees kind of at the peak we were setting records On ERCOT, which is the grid operator here in Texas, it was 80 gigawatts. That was the highest it's ever been. Typically in a more kind of mild day, maybe it's between 40 and 50, um, which is a lot. So 20 just in solar energy is completely transformational. And when I say in the interconnection queue, that's not just that somebody has an idea that they're they're hoping they might be able that means that a company has performed a study on that potential asset and posted financial collateral. So there's there's real weight behind bringing that amount of power uh, development uh, just here in Texas. And when you bring that amount of power on that is intermittent, because that's what solar energy is, you're only going to strengthen your grid by having a flexible consumer of power that can facilitate that amount of additional solar energy coming onto the grid. And I'm I'm a supporter of that. I'm, I'm for solar energy. I think we have tremendous resources here in Texas and we should develop all of them. And, and that's, that's something we're going to see, I think in a huge way in the coming years, because particularly solar is one that really overlays nicely with Bitcoin mining and, and can, Can benefit probably the most from that collaboration with a flexible consumer, a flexible load like Bitcoin mining and can allow for solar generation to be built out and maybe initially used for Bitcoin mining as we wait on the transmission to be built. Another stat that I usually tell people when they're shocked is in West Texas, often on windy days, the power goes negative. And the reason is that we've had so much wind power built out in West Texas, which is great, but we don't have enough transmission to move it to market in Dallas and Austin and San Antonio where the power demand is. And so we produce all this power and it really goes to waste. And, the, and, and it goes to negative pricing, which is just a bizarre thing to see. Um, and that's what Bitcoin mining is going to help with, because we have a consumer that can move to where the power is, and then once you have a consumer there, you can help support build out of additional infrastructure. And all of this brings jobs and, and tax revenues for those local, primarily rural communities that need it. So it's, it's win, 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 wins <laughs> that, that you have. Um, and, and the last thing I would highlight is I think there's a big opportunity for the United States to start to play a more prominent role in research and development, particularly around the semiconductor side of things. This is in the headlines right now with these these bills being passed at the federal, federal level. I think they're calling it the CHIPS Act because we learned during COVID that we don't make any kind of semiconductors here. And they go in everything. You couldn't get a car. You couldn't get a toaster. You can't get anything. They've all got chips in it. And that was really exposed during COVID, and maybe that's one one small good thing we got out of that 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 there was really an awakening that we need to bring some of that manufacturing back. And I'll be honest, Bitcoin miners, in the grand scheme of things, are a relatively small consumer of chips. It's it's, it's not Toyota or Apple yet, but it is a growing industry, and it's going to be a primarily Texan industry. And so I think it's something that we can leverage on on multiple different fronts to bring these strategic industries and grow them here in texas
0: well said and, and you know as a side note to the chips act that was just passed through congress and will likely be signed into law here very soon they did establish a digital asset advisor position to the president which is very good and i, I hope to see someone well i know someone very qualified will fill that role but i think it's going to be helpful for all of digital assets as an industry and particularly mining as well uh, one thing that you also mentioned to the grid stabilization that, that is so key to, uh, why this is healthy and good for the economy here, especially in Texas, but everywhere that, that has, uh, mining because that, that flexible load ability is, is huge. I mean, we've never seen a energy consumer be able to turn the switch on and off instantly, uh, until now. And so having someone who's willing to buy that power when there's excess and then flip it off when, when it's needed, that, that's incredible. And so that, that's what provides that stabilization and, and also, um, helps keep power going consistently. And in Texas, we've, we've struggled with that in the, in the last few years. And, uh, so we can certainly understand why we would need that. Yeah,
1: Bitcoin mining re- really is the solution. I've, I've had the opportunity to present a couple times um, to ERCOT, which is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. They're the grid operator here. So I've been down to Austin a few times, and um, ERCOT's actually established a whole new task force, the Large Flexible Load Task Force, which is primarily focused on Bitcoin mining because, to your point, it, it, it really is something that we've never seen before. And so they don't have a way, and nobody does. To incorporate Bitcoin mining into the economic modeling that these grid operators do to issue permits and to do planning and to report on potential potential issues. So there's actually no no way to do it. So we're innovating that as we go. And what's abundantly clear at this point, and we'll have more, certainly more on this in the coming months, but there, there is going to be a whole new load category that's never existed before. Um, that will be primarily created f- to facilitate Bitcoin miners that are that are coming to Texas, and to help ERCOT properly incorporate them into the reliability studies that are done. And the real issue there is that traditionally all load, that is all consumers that are on the power grid, are treated as firm. And firm makes sense because most people that are consuming electricity, like you and I, we don't want our power to go out. <laughs> There, you know, there's there's almost no point where I'm just willing to shut off all my power. Certainly not when it's hot outside. That's that's when we need it the most um, to cool our home. And so that's just the way that planning has always been done by these grid operators. And so the concept of of a large flexible load that that is that is proactively, you know, involved in the market is really a new thing. And in, in the past, we've had some kind of emergency loads that could be turned off, large refineries and things like that but you don't want to be flipping refineries on and off all the, all the time. You know, that's, that's highly disruptive to those businesses. Whereas miners are almost really built to do that. Um, And they suffer very little uh, kind of long-term impacts from, from acting as a flexible load. So it's, it's completely new. It's actually really exciting to be a part of it. And I'm very encouraged because while governments aren't known for acting quickly really anywhere i've seen an honest effort to to have an ongoing dialogue in ercot and i think they they really appreciate that this is a positive for all texans and as a result we need to find a way to encourage it and to do it responsibly and and really what i mean by responsibly is ensuring that that it is categorized as flexible load and that we have some some like legal definitions around that to ensure that retail consumers like you and I know this, they will never be consuming power at these kind of high risk times. Um, and the market already provides an economic signal for that because power costs go up at those times, and so people that are flexible are going to benefit from from being off. But I do think we're going to see that kind of uh, codified more specifically. Um, in the coming months, and it'll be something really positive for the industry. And I, I look forward to other jurisdictions adopting that as well. Because, as you mentioned, it's not just Texas—that's what I tend to talk about—but it's it's all across the world, and North America is really leading. So, I'm I'm really really excited and confident that in the coming months we're going to have some big advancements on that front, and I think the industry is going to benefit a lot from it and continue to grow.
0: What about off the grid mining? You know, you mentioned flare and there's a lot of potential there and i have clients who are throwing up generators and uh, putting out a flare and so that they can uh, use that to power their mining operations
1: yeah if if i had to predict in the next 1 to 2 years you know what subsector of mining would experience the fastest growth it would be off-grid mining particularly in in the oil field because it it has the the obvious benefit of monetizing an asset that's getting zero it's it's being you know burned off wasted essentially so so that's clear but but then you have other ancillary benefits first and foremost the environmental concern that a lot of these operators you know do have targets to reduce emissions or be responsive to to reduce waste and i think that's that's great and this is one of the few ways that you can do that and and generate revenue and not and not just a cost center uh but but over time there's a trend particularly in the oil field of more and more electrification electrification of everything. A lot of that's driven by automation. it's it's better to have like pumps and infrastructure in the oil field automated so that people from the office can monitor it and make adjustments as needed. Um, and so that's driven a lot of electrical infrastructure being built out and I think there's a promising future to have Bitcoin mining in the mix to support that and to use gas in the field that that has, no market or a very poor market to support that. And it really becomes a part of the whole operation instead of, you know, right now I think it's often viewed as kind of this siloed separate thing. Like there's, there's an oil and gas operation and, and then there's just Bitcoin mining on the side. I think in the near future, we're going to see a transition where it really is kind of part of the menu of options to effectively and efficiently run an oil and gas operation. And, as a former oil and gas professional, I'm I'm really excited to play a part in that because I think it's 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 a powerful positive thing for the industry. It's a great um, it's a great way to to position companies to perform on their environmental metrics that they have, uh, and and then again it goes back to providing employment opportunities in these often rural communities that that a lot of oil and gas operators have numerous different kinds of groups where they're always trying to support these rural counties that have oil and gas operations um, and need help with schools and employment and opportunities for the local population. And this is, this is another way to, to provide that. So I, I think we're still in the early stages. And fr- frankly, in oil and gas, uh, you know, prices have gone up. So a lot of oil and gas operators are focused on their core business. And I understand that. Um, certainly, given the the current commodity price, that's that's very favorable. But I do expect that there's going to be a huge growth industry in this off grid mining, kind of containerized, modular mining that can move to different wells and 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 go to where its impact can be most, you know, most positive. Uh, and and that's something that that I'll certainly be focusing on. And and uh, the the story is only in its early chapters there.
0: So off grid. Uh, flare gas mining uh, a viewer could take away Uh, monetize stranded energy source good reduce carbon emissions good Uh, get recognized for the esg components good and provide some jobs good lots of good things uh that uh, with the potential here
1: yeah and 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 be profitable (laughs) Because usually when you have that list of items, it's like, and here's what it's going to cost you. <laughs> so here you have a, a return on that. I think it's 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 a phenomenal opportunity, and and the more that we spread that message through education, I think it it sells itself. It it re, it really is it's that transformational. Uh, I didn't believe it at first, as I mentioned towards the beginning. There, I spent the better part of two years just reading, exploring, talking to people. I've driven out to a few places in the middle of nowhere to see this and 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 this really is happening it's coming in a big way and i can tell you last week walking the floor of this conference there were no less than 10 different companies there building containers and so pe- people are are putting r and d dollars into it to come up with with better and better solutions that can stand up to the heat um that can be built faster uh and and allow for more and more remote uh control and oversight to reduce the need to to be traveling long distances and you know in a couple of years we're going to have I'm sure just phenomenal technology to deploy here and and the more we bring the oil field in with the engineering capacity and and unbelievable talent that that industry has, I think it's going to be a game changer
0: to caveat though it it is not without its challenges and to be able to set up that kind of operation. I mean you do have to get jurisdictional approval or regulatory approval. You do have to deal with severance taxes if you're extracting uh, you know, these oil and gas out of the ground. Um, you have to deal with actually piping it and putting up infrastructure. So there there are big considerations. Uh, but, uh, you know, from my experience and what I've seen is once you do it once or twice and you kind of understand what, uh, you know, the benefits there and start seeing that, wow, this is a real way to monetize, It's it's very attractive.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's not just a panacea. And um, it's hard to operate in hot Texas, too. Uh, so I, I I think there's work to be done to further optimize around that, because um, the machines get worn out by the heat. Um, but people are coming up with better and better heat dissipation technologies, better fans. Um, and then there's the whole frontier of hydro cooling solutions and immersion cooling, where you immerse it in a a dielectric oil that that dissipates more heat and that that might be its own podcast in and of itself but uh, we're we're in the early stages and it's it's definitely it's nascent I, I i would say that and uh and then you're you know the regulatory concerns are valid as well and i think that's an area I'll be working on more and more and I'm, I'm sure Weaver will be involved in that and give, given your background and expertise because it, it is important for operators I think to, to understand the implications of, of rolling this technology out at scale. Um, but the opportunity is such that you know all, all of that is well worth it and and I think um, I think that expertise will be built in the coming months and, and solutions will be identified.
0: That's a great segue into our last topic here, and we have just a few minutes. But you know, talking through some of the policy regulation items that the, the TBC is pushing through, uh, you know, there's the severance tax proposal in, in tax legislation right now, which is really exciting to, to give tax credits back to, to counter that uh, that issue. Uh, what what else are you seeing on the TBC side, and then also with the new foundation that you're? you're creating.
1: Sure, yeah. So you mentioned the severance tax issue. This, this is kind of a, a hopefully a slam dunk I think in my opinion, but the idea there is if somebody takes a, a flared uh, resource, flared gas and redirects it to mining bitcoin, they would uh, they would technically owe the severance tax on that, in the state of Texas um and uh so this legislation would just waive that tax so essentially if the state was getting zero if it was being flared anyway and and this this is a way to just incentivize the industry to invest in that technology you know the the tax at the end of the day isn't going to make or break any single investment it's probably not that big a driver but i think it's really significant in terms of the message that the state is sending in, in terms of providing that incentive but maybe also saying you know we really have to start to take this flare issue seriously as an industry and as a state that we we cannot continue to operate under the assumption that we'll just have you know significant resources wasted um, and that that's that's kind of acceptable. Uh, so I, I think there's going to be a lot of talk around that, and it's 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 a positive um, uh, message overall, and I, I expect. Uh, um, Strong support in the legislature for that one. We are also working on updating the tax abatement language. The uh, The state of Texas provides incentives for for all kinds of industries, and, and one of those is data centers. We have a lot of data centers here. And I think typically the cutoff is 50,000 square feet. It might be more than that. It's a lot under which there are tax incentives and abatements provided to operators to attract them to come here um, because of all of the employment and kind of ancillary services that the data center uh, generates. And the issue, particularly in Bitcoin mining, as we've already discussed, is a lot of guys, they'll have containers or smaller like tents that they that they use. And so aggregate, they may be 100,000 square feet or more, but it's broken up between different facilities within like a single campus and so that old definition doesn't really work. So we're going to try to update that to align it with the, the same incentives that are provided to the Facebooks and Googles of the world that run data centers uh, here in Texas. And then the, the third front you mentioned is the Bitcoin Mining Foundation. And the story there is a pretty exciting one and and uh, and something I think I'll be telling my grandkids years from now. But some months ago, we were able to partner with the city of Fort Worth and we launched the, the first Bitcoin um, pilot mining pilot project um, with the city government in the United States. And so the city of Fort Worth took a, a donation of, of three small machines uh, from us, which we have since replaced with one uh, more modern uh, S19 version of, of the Bitcoin miner. And, and they're just running a pilot project, run, running the miner in the in the basement, the server room of, of City Hall. And it was really an awesome experience. We got to go and present at the at, at City Hall a number of times and work with the city and. When we announced that, you know, the feedback was tremendously positive um, and we had a number of other cities reaching out to us interested in, in similar pilot projects and how they can leverage this industry to, to monetize underutilized or stranded energy assets, since a lot of cities in Texas have that. Um, and we had really positive feedback from our members, from the Bitcoin miners saying this is such a great way to interact with our stakeholders. And often the best way to learn about Bitcoin mining is just to mine Bitcoin. Just just plug in a machine and, and see what you think and the experience certainly from fort Worth has been very positive they they've been able to kind of crunch the numbers themselves and have said yes yeah, this definitely makes money um, and so they've been interested to expand the partnership and we we realized that we needed an entity really dedicated to to that effort um, particularly facilitating private public partnerships and research partnerships with universities with a focus on education and workforce development and that's what the Bitcoin Mining Foundation is is going to be. Um, we're on the on the cusp of launching that more formally. I'll, I'll be the president of the foundation. And I'm really happy to have Weaver as the official accounting firm and, and you, Tim, as the chief financial officer in that effort, because the accounting is going to be absolutely critical. Um, We're going to have Winstead as our official legal counsel because, again, the legal issues, as, as you've mentioned around this, are very important in terms of structuring how do we partner with government entities that are that are interested in mining as as a potential revenue source to invest in education and in their communities. And this is completely new. No, Nobody's done this. We don't have any template that we're working off of. And so certainly we we do have a, the, the expertise of, of Weaver and Winstead with other other foundations and nonprofit structures and industries. So we can work off of that. But we're really being very innovative here. And, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, I'm, I'm having more and more discussions every day about people that are saying, you know, as soon as this thing is, is fully up and running, uh, there's... A significant demand to explore those kinds of partnerships. And I think that's a future uh, for, for the industry that's going to grow a lot, that private-public partnership, because these, these entities, these government entities will see this is really a strategic industry for them to have in their community, because it goes back to having that flexible load. You're going to have, you know, better grid reliability investment and jobs in your community if you can attract Bitcoin miners and particularly if, if you're a city or an entity with with land you're not using or or maybe it's next to the sewage dump or something like that that pe- people don't want to use it anyway well Bitcoin mining goes to the stranded asset the stranded land or the underutilized land the underutilized energy and that's that's a game changing you know equation here that there's never been a way to, to monetize that kind of asset for the good of of the public services in a community, so I, I'm I'm really excited to launch that. Really happy to have you working on it with me, and it's it's kind of the sky is the limit, and we just need to to execute in the short term. I'm I'm sure that we will, and we'll have more announcements with more cities um, first in Texas, but I'm I'm excited to expand beyond Texas because you know Bitcoin mining is is really expanding throughout the country and and the world, and so I want to take that concept of kind of what. We discovered and with the city of Fort Worth, and and expand it to, to any city or municipality that that thinks they can benefit from that and uh, and bring our expertise and our network to to make it happen.
0: So I think you you touched on a really important topic there at the end as well as as far as this is going to be national, not just specific to Texas, although you know home and domiciled in Texas, but yeah, it, it will be a um, something that can extend to any city, any, any state, any jurisdiction that wants to um, start exploring this. And you can come in with education and talking about your experiences working with these other cities and what's been successful and uh, you know mapping that to the city to be able to start monetizing those uh, stranded resources.
1: Yep, 100%. We definitely want it to be national. Um, and we want it to be something that can evolve and meet the needs of of different communities so we 're going to learn with each different city what what works for them, um, and we want to be as flexible as possible to to see you know different communities might have a different way um, that they want to approach it, and we just want to assist to to facilitate that, but always coming back to that focus on education, we really want to help people learn about this the workforce development, bringing the younger people into the industry as these opportunities continue to come for for employment. And, and, and aside from the employment, just for people to understand this better, because there's a lot of misunderstanding right now. And, and that's only going to be uh, dealt with through education and through interaction with the technology. So I just want more people to, to come see a a mining operation. I'm always blown away when we go and take these tours and people go for the first time, they're just, they're amazed. They're like, "I I had no idea, you know, how, how big and substantial these operations are and how many people are working here and, and really how impressive the technology is when you kind of interact with it firsthand. Uh, and, and so we we need more of that and that's what the foundation is going to do.
0: Very good. Well, Steve, thanks for being on the show today. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Uh, and with that, we will conclude our podcast.
1: would love to come on again. Thanks again for inviting me,
0: Tim. This was great.